Christian spiritual formation is teaching people how to become apprentices of Jesus so that years into your apprenticeship to Jesus, you can go and do the things that Jesus taught and become the kind of person that Jesus would be if he was living today on earth. Welcome to the Swayology Podcast. I'm your host, Ann Watson, and I cannot wait to help you think like a business so you can inspire like a boss. I am a former corporate girl. I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur turned business coach, and I'm here to bring you practical advice, inspiration, and motivation as you navigate the wild, wild world of online business and marketing. We are going behind the scenes with successful coaches, creatives, communicators, and entrepreneurs. We're getting real about their stories so you can learn everything you need to in order to love your business and your life. So whether you are working to earn an income or you aim to get your message out there, the Swayology Podcast is going to give you the tools you need to grow your self-worth and your net worth. It's not going to be easy, but I promise you it's going to be worth it. So if you're ready, let's get to it. Hey, hey, okay, welcome back to the Swayology Podcast and the second episode in a two-part special interview that I did with Anna LeBaron from the Hulu Disney Plus documentary, Daughters of the Cult. So this is the follow-up episode to our most recent show. And if you have not yet heard the first one, I really want to encourage you to pause this one, go back and listen to part one so that you will have the right context for everything you're going to hear today. Guys, it's such a powerful episode. If you haven't heard it, you've got to go listen. So just as a reminder, Anna is the author of The Polygamous Daughter, which is her story of escaping a violent polygamous cult when she was just 13 years old. And listen, if you haven't seen the documentary yet, go subscribe to Hulu and Disney Plus so that you can binge the five episode series because it's truly going to blow your mind. I mean, I I have trauma in my life, but it is nothing compared to this. And not that we're about comparing trauma. We are not. I want this story to be so hopeful for you, but you've got to see it to believe it. At the time of this recording, the show is the number one program on those platforms and really for good reason. So in our last episode, we talked about Anna's life growing up in the cult where her father was the leader and responsible for the deaths of about 30 people, either directly or indirectly. She's one of over 50 children whose story of survival is fascinating. Last time we talked about what she calls her 5K to freedom, which is when she escaped the cult at 13 years old, but she still had a lot of obstacles in her path to true freedom. So today we are going to finish the story as much as one can finish it. We're going to talk about her journey to become a powerful writer, speaker, communicator, and advocate, and how she got her mental health right and built a family of her own and what she's doing now pursuing a master's degree in spiritual formation and leadership, because she wants to continue to help people like you and me get right with God, no matter the circumstance. My hope for you as you listen is that no matter what you've been through, and we've all been through something, that you're going to be inspired by Anna and her never give up pursuit of something better. I want her story to give you hope that your story matters and should be told because someone out there needs to hear what you have to say because it's going to help them and encourage them to live their best life. 
There is a lot to unpack in this episode, including some things she didn't say in the documentary. So today we're going to talk about her redemption arc, her perspective, and what she's doing now. And I'm so thrilled that you were here. Do me a favor, please. After you listen, jump into my DMs on Instagram and let me know what you think. I want to keep talking about this, about her story, about your story. Let's keep this conversation going. Okay, guys. Get ready for the conclusion of this very special two-part interview. Here we go with my friend, Anna LeBaron. People are like, how can you even be religious after all of that? And I'm like, the kindness and the grace and the love that I experienced there at that little church school turned my heart to God. And, and, you know, that school ended up, it was a fundamentalist Christian church. And so anybody familiar with that term knows that uh, in in addition to having to escape a fundamentalist Mormon uh, family of origin, I eventually had to escape a fundamentalist Christian church. Literally like at 19, I finally, you know, from 13 to 19, I finally got away from it and they loosened their claws in my soul, you know, like, oh my gosh. And it took a long time. You know, deconstruction is a term that people use a lot these days. And, you know, somebody wrote recently, you know, I deconstructed religion, but I never deconstructed God. And I think that just no truer words can ever be spoken about my life. Um, I did not deconstruct Jesus. I did not uh, the Holy Spirit. All of those things are still very important and guiding um, and helpful in my life and in my healing. Um, I'm currently pursuing a master's degree in Christian spiritual formation and leadership from Friends University. I graduate in May. Which is amazing. That's awesome. You know? Um, so, you know, when I talk about Christian spiritual formation, people say like, what does that even mean? And spiritual formation is a fancy word for discipleship, but even the word discipleship has connotations to in today's Western mind that do not, um, do not really convey what it is I'm learning. Discipleship is now part of the Christianese that I'm deconstructing from (laughs) Mm -hmm. but what that means in layman's terms uh, a better definition of the word that's translated into discipleship into English from the original language a better word is apprentice or student sure and when you think about an apprentice you have a master plumber a master electrician a master gardener Um, when they have an apprentice The idea is to teach them everything they know so the apprentice can one day after years of training go and do the thing that the master taught. Right. And so Christian spiritual formation is teaching people how to become apprentices of Jesus so that years into your apprenticeship to Jesus, you can go and do the things that Jesus taught. And become the kind of person that Jesus would be if he was 
living today on earth as you. If Jesus were me, had come to earth as me, not that I'm saying I'm Jesus, we're not even going there. We talk about we're the hands and feet of Jesus, right? Right. So Jesus lives within me. And my job is to apprentice myself to Jesus so that I become so like him in character that what Jesus lived and embodied when he was here on earth, uh, love, kindness, joy, healing, finding the people on the margins and entering their lives in incarnational and transformational ways. That's what we're supposed to be about today. And I think that in the Christian church, um, evangelicalism, fundamentalism, in all the ways that people have to deconstruct from, um, we're not teaching Christ-likeness, Christ's character. And not just try harder, but um, do the things that Jesus did that allowed him to be the person he was. Could talk about that for hours and hours and hours. Honestly, I mean, it, it's <laughs> it it goes back to Jewish history and reasons why Jesus chose the disciples, the followers that he did, instead of going to the rabbi school to get the you know apprentices that were ready and willing. Like, yeah, I mean, it, Jesus chose the twelve disciples who were just the most rabble rousing, off, you right? Know, just non like. I feel like if, yeah, okay, I'm one of the disciples that Jesus chose. Uh, right. Look at where I came from. Look how unprepared I was. And he came to me and said, come follow me. And and honestly, I, I hope you see this. I'm sure that you do. I'm sure other people have said this to you. But listening to your story and knowing about this environment that you came from and that you escaped once at 13 and kind of escaped a different one again at 19. And like that can create so much trauma. We talked about generational trauma in someone, and yet you have been plucked from this. In fact, you have 50 siblings. There are 51 of you at last count, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And out of all of them, you are the one that walked away at 13, you were the one that Mark and Lillian sold all the furniture to send you to a Christian school. Like the path of drawing you to God is miracle after miracle. And you have been singled out out of all of the people affiliated with this cult. It was you. And now you're getting your master's in spiritual formation and leadership. You're going to get a doctorate in this with this goal of helping other people to overcome their trauma and get some real true soul care. I just, I think about where you are now in this moment. There had, there was possibly no way you could have ever predicted this at 13 or at 19, that this was the path you were going to be on. <laughs> no way. No I mean, way. no possible way. Even I, I'm sure when you walked out of there at 13, you weren't thinking I'm going to write a book about this one day, but the book is out there <laughs> and the book turned into a, a podcast interview, which has turned into a documentary that is honestly, it's kind of horrifying to watch. 
I I watched the whole thing and I and I I read the book, but seeing it in the documentary, I still can't believe what my friend went through. I'm gonna get choked up. Listen, it's surreal to me as well. Yeah, um, I've been through uh, ten plus years of professional therapy that began in 1995. So. If I'm mathing correctly, that we're looking at 29 years of pursuing what Brene Brown calls wholeheartedness. Yeah. Um, I started writing my book in January of 2014. Um, and the year before I had read her book, Daring Greatly. And it was that book that allowed me to drop the cloak of shame that I carried and that weighed on me about being Herbal LeBaron's daughter. Yeah. And I was able to write my story from my perspective um, and tell what it was like to be a child of Herbal LeBaron, born and raised in the cult. And I did my best to only tell my story. I wanted my siblings, every one of them, to have the chance to tell their own story without me telling it for them. And so in that book, I don't name names and say what happened to everyone. I only say what happened to me. And so many of my siblings' names are changed because I wanted to protect their privacy. But in the documentary, um, all of those things are brought to light. And so I didn't have the editing privilege of editing our interviews to tell the things that I wanted to tell and not tell the things they wanted to tell. But the overarching um, story of that documentary is the, you know, the relationship between my sister Celia and I. Sure. And if you watch the opening title sequence where it's just creepy and the kids are trapped in the roots below of a tree, ground, right? You know, a generational trauma trapping them underground in the dark with no sunlight, no air. And then as the opening title sequence continues on, they go above ground and you see new leaves forming and growth and the sunshine, you know, on our faces, my sister and I walking away from everything into the sunlight and, you know, headed to the mountains, you know, um, even though it's just two young girls depicted in that uh, image, this is the story of my entire sibling group. We have all come above ground, growing, um, learning, uh, becoming better people. You know, I, the, the first words out of my mouth after that opening title sequence in episode one is we were born good goodness was in us. Yes. And when I say that, I mean, every one of my siblings and our family group, like literally not just my siblings, everyone ever born is born good. Yeah. Nobody starts off with darkness in their heart, right? Correct. You know, you we are come out of the womb heaven. that way. We right. are straight from heaven and every little tiny baby born is precious every single one. Yeah. But in that documentary, I mean, I'm meaning my siblings. 
especially the ones who were convicted of horrendous crimes and some that weren't even that were acquitted some were tried and acquitted and not just my siblings but other cult members who were had been raised in that not all of them were born into it that did horrific things but many of them were like brought into it by their parents who joined my father's cult did things but then almost every one of them um, not everyone survived and so I can't really say everyone but the ones who survived uh, and and grew to have their you know mental faculties all to themselves where they could think like adult mature people all of them walked away from it including Mark and Lillian well for a time yeah well I mean they eventually paid the price for walking away yes and the it blood, was my siblings, the blood atonement. Right. And it was my siblings that were carrying out those blood atonements as a favor to them because that's what they believed was the right thing to do. But guess what? It's been over 30 years since everyone walked away. The sunlight now shines on them. They're growing and learning and becoming the people that they were always meant to be, that they were that was always inside of them. So I want to ask two questions. The first one is, are there any parts of this cult or various sects that still exist today, to your knowledge? If you look at the last words on the screen as the episode five ends, everyone has disavowed Herbal LeBaron's doctrines and teachings, especially the violent ones. Okay, There's good. nobody that wanted that violence to end more than the children of Herbal LeBaron who survived it. Okay. So then my second question is about the children of Herbal LeBaron, your siblings. A lot of them have come forward in this documentary. They're sharing their stories. They're endorsing this work. A lot of them aren't. And I, the only reason that I want to touch on that is because, you know, you and I have had this conversation, I think more than once over the years where you start to do something, you begin to follow a passion, you begin to go a different way and you would think you'd get your family support, but often family can be the harshest critics. Now I know for some of your siblings, they just aren't comfortable with their story being told, but I think that it is a, a more common thing than not for people who are stepping out of whatever they are to build a business, to write a book, to create a, a program, to start a band, whatever it is, to whatever it is in their heart that they want to do, that they're not getting full support from their family. I would love to hear your thoughts on this because you never, you don't want to hurt family, Correct. but you have to tell your truth. Right. So I don't blame anyone in my family for not wanting this story brought into the light. Sure. I don't blame any one of them. It is bizarre. It's horrendous. It is um, unsettling and triggering and re-traumatizing in some cases to some people who have experienced horrifying things. And I don't blame anyone for being upset about it or having their feelings about it. They are entitled to those feelings 
and they absolutely uh, get the right to have them. Absolutely. But those feelings are their responsibility to process, not mine. Mm. And I, um, you know, I have earned the right to tell my story and I, I have the right to tell my story. And my siblings that want to also had a right. We invited others that chose not to. And I don't blame them for saying, I don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Sure. That's their decision. And absolutely, I respect that and support them in saying that would not be good for my mental health to participate in that. 100%. Um, but at the same time, you know, in the documentary, when the interviews, I said something that was edited out, which I'm very disappointed about. But I said, I cannot speak for my siblings, especially the KOGers, but I can speak up for them. And what mm. I hope happens as a result of this and my prayer and my best wish is that if somebody, anyone um, connects the dots, they, you know, from the people depicted in the documentary or reading in my book or any which way they find it, or on the news, it's all, it's, it doesn't leave the news. It's still there. You can Google it and it's all there. If anybody connects the dots to anyone in my family, my prayer and my hope is that if it's a relationship you have with them, a friend or a coworker, that your heart will be moved to more compassion, more empathy, um, more kindness and generosity of spirit than you've ever known before for another human being. If your relationship with them is, is a business relationship and these are people, my family members are doing good work for you or for the community, that you would give them more of your business. Amazing. Hope. That is my hope in the way that we told this story, the redemptive arc of it. And the way that we describe the brainwashing and the uh, abuse and neglect and all the horrific things that my siblings and I endured to get to the place that we are today. I hope that people have more compassion and, and see their lives, the people they've connected the dots to and, and go, oh my gosh, what an inspiring person I know. Yeah. More compassion, less judgment, knowing, mm -hmm. like you said yeah. early on, everybody has been a victim of this. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've talked about my sister and I, Celia, um, we've talked about that the fact that so many of us were so ashamed of being Herbal's children that we wouldn't even talk about our family of origin story to strangers because, oh my gosh, no way. And even when I would talk about it to caring friends, like it was so re-traumatizing to talk about it. I would shake uncontrollably just telling brief little parts of the story because it was uh, so hard to say the things out loud. And this was in the, in the long, long ago before I got therapy. Um, the therapy has helped a lot to overcome all of that. Now I can tell my story now and not shake uncontrollably, but my sister and I sat watching the documentary on her couch, literally shaking for five hours straight because 
it was hard to process all of it coming out all at once, where normally we process it in bite-sized pieces. Yeah. The other part of the what we were talking about is, and not again, not to compare myself to Jesus at all, but Jesus's siblings had criticism for him. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so, and again, I'm not Jesus. Hello. <laughs> right. I get that. And also one of the stories that helped me write my book was I, I went to a church one time with a guest speaker in a different town than I live in. So it was just like a divine appointment. He told the story of David Goliath. And when I first started hearing him talk, I thought, oh, I've heard this story a thousand times, you know? Right. Well, he said, what if David, um, when his father sent him to the battlefield to bring cheese and bread to his brothers that were, mm-hmm. you know, doing the battles of the giant, you know, the Philistines and all that. Um, when he arrived and he said, who, who does this giant think he is? talking to us this way talking to the children of israel this way right his brothers were basically like who do you think you are yeah and what if david had listened to his brothers and when i heard that sermon it like all my excuses for not writing my book uh, just fell by the wayside and um, one of my mentors, Bob Hamp, I went to him one day and he, you know, he had known me for several years and knew my family of origin story. Um, he's a licensed professional counselor in, in Dallas. He's like, when are you going to write your book? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just so afraid of what my siblings will think. And he said, um, he just put up his hand between us and, you know, there's me looking at the palm of his hand. And he said, do you see fingernails? And I said, of course, no. And he said to me, I see fingernails. What's wrong with you? And in that moment, I recognized that my siblings and I even if we were in the same room, breathing the same air, experiencing the same things, could walk away from those experiences having two entirely different perspectives yeah. on what happened. That's powerful. And that's when I realized, oh, I can tell my story from my perspective. And if other people have a different perspective on the events that happened, I want them to tell their story too. Right. In my mind, every one of my siblings, everyone who has suffered, please write your story. I want to be the first one to pick it up and read it and hear what your perspective was when these events were unfolding. That is so powerful, Anna. Honestly, I've not heard that put that way. And it's really striking that idea that somebody is seeing fingernails and wants to know what's wrong with you. So you see it as there's different perspectives. It's okay to tell your story. And what I heard was judgment, right? Like what's wrong with you? And maybe this comes from my perspective, the way that I was raised. I had very hypercritical parents, very critical of everything that I did in the name of wanting me to be better. Like, I think that they were well-intentioned, 
But so when, when he held up his hand and he said, I see fingernails, what's wrong with you? My immediate response is what is wrong with me? (laughs) I see fingernails, but you were like, I see a different perspective and you have just taken this and done something amazing with it. And that is so inspiring to me. I mean, I have watched you write the book, help other people write their books, launch their books. You have been a champion for women everywhere. You have been leading huge groups of women to celebrate other women and their accomplishments. And now you're even doing more because despite the trauma, despite the abuse, despite the gaslighting and all the things that you went through, you have come out of this with the help of therapy, with the help of God and and Jesus and the love of your siblings as just a walking miracle. And I'm so inspired by you. And I'm never going to forget that story about the fingernails. And, and know that it's about perspective. Mm-hmm. It's just really, really powerful. Okay. So I know that you are getting your master's degree. What are you going to do with it? Well, um, I am also applying to become part of the doctoral program which I haven't been accepted yet. So it's not a thing. It's not official yet, but I've applied. Um, But what I want to do, even if I don't get accepted and that doesn't become a thing with a master's degree in Christian spiritual formation and leadership, I could teach seminary and I would love to help the next generation of helpers, of spiritual helpers. You know how um, Fred Rogers says, look for the helpers when there's a problem. You know, I want to help the next generation of spiritual helpers understand the intersection between religious trauma or spiritual abuse, as some people call it, um, and spiritual formation. How do you become Christ-like in your character in spite of the things you've gone through and experienced that have devastated your life? Is it even possible that is a question to ask. Is it possible? I looking and at you, I, it absolutely is. And I say it is. And um, by the grace of God, and because of the, the, the ways that I've been inclined and leaning into wholeness, healing, in the Greek is sotso. I think that's how you say it. It doesn't just mean saved. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And I have fire insurance and I'm not going to go to hell. You know, right. that is like, that is reductionist. Yeah. Saved means uh, not just saved, but healed and delivered. Not just in the afterlife, but in this life, in the land of the living. Yeah. And am I healed 100%? No, I still have a therapist. Um, I still, I take medication. And can we normalize going to therapy and that sometimes medication is needed for mental health and emotional health or whatever it is that you're needing? Nobody gets upset when people take, you know, insulin to treat diabetes. Not one person is upset about that or mad. 
and nobody should have shame about it for the love of God. Right. Um, please let's normalize um, that therapy and medication are needed sometimes in the process of healing. A hundred percent. Okay. So I'm going to put links to the documentary, to the book in the show notes, where can people connect with you if they want to know more, to connect with you for whatever reason, to talk about spiritual formation or anything else? How can they find you? um, I am on all social media platforms as Anna K. LeBaron. Um, Right now, while I'm in school, like my time is limited. (laughs) So if you send me a private message, it might take a minute for me to get there. But, um, but I do try to respond to all of them. If you only have bandwidth for uh, one follow, um, I would like my sister Celia to get a book deal and my brother Hiram to get a book deal. And in order to do that, you have to have a platform. That's just the thing. I I know about that. So follow them instead. Okay. <laughs> I okay. got my book deal. I'm like, I have enough followers. Find my sister Celia, my brother Hiram. He has a page called Hilarity. He takes uh, his trauma and uses humor. And I hope that he can write a book one day. And I want him to read the Audible edition so bad. Um, I can already see it in my mind's eye. So I think that means it's going to actually happen. If I have anything to say about that. Sure. All right. So well, if I, you're you know, wanting to, you know, let's if you make watch it documentary- happen. And you read about Hiram and Celia in my book and you think, yeah, I want to read their stories too. I want to hear their perspective on everything that happened. Um, Follow them. All right. I'm going to put links for Hiram and Celia on the show notes as well. So it's easy for people to find them. But Anna, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you are swamped with all things documentary right now and all things school and all things granddaughter. Um, and so I just want to say thank you so much for coming and, and sharing even more of your story and, and the inspiration that I hope that my listeners will take away from this. That is your story needs to be told. You can do it in a healthy way and it's going to inspire others to do the same, just like you did. Thank you just so much, my friend. Well, it's been an honor, um, to, to connect with you again and to get the opportunity to speak into the lives of your listeners. And I hope that if anybody takes anything away that I've said that they can uh, take that and materialize that in a way that uh, blesses the lives of others. There you have it. I hope that you got so much out of this episode. I hope you'll save it. You'll download it. You'll revisit it. You'll take all the notes. And I hope that you're going to share it with people that you know that might benefit from some of this information. Thank you so, so much for listening to the Swayology podcast. You can find all of the links for everything that we talked about today in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and take a screenshot and post about it on your Instagram or your Facebook or wherever you like to post. And then tag me because I will also reshare it. It makes my day when you do that, but really what it does is it helps other people like you find the show and build our community. Got comments? I would love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram or head over to my website and shoot me an email. Thanks again for listening. I'm so happy that you're here and so happy to be on this journey with you, both of us together. And I cannot wait to see you next time on the Swayology Podcast.